This is the Trophy Room, a.k.a. Trophy Room Radio. Thanks for hanging out with us this week. This week's been a little crazy, obviously, with all of the DeMar Hamlin news. And so because of that, we do have a couple of new, cooler announcements. But with the DeMar Hamlin watch still kind of going on, I think we're just going to skip that and wait until next week. And you'll see why next week. Next week's going to be a little bit different as far as Trophy Room goes. So from that standpoint, we're going to hold the brakes on the cooler, exciting stuff, and we're going to have a little bit of a shorter day today. We're going to do mostly DeMar Hamlin, um, but we are obviously I'm only on once a week, so this is the only time we have to get to the college football playoff games that we had this last week and the national championship that we have next Monday. So we are going to hit those games as well, and then we're going to be done. Um, There's a lot of thoughts going into DeMar Hamlin, but let's just update you with where we're at. So maybe you didn't watch the game Monday night. Maybe you're still a little light on what actually happened. So here's the deal. Partway through the first quarter of the Bills-Bengals game, DeMar Hamlin goes in to make a gang tackle with another guy on T. Higgins. Just a normal routine tackle. I'm sure you see in the video. He falls down, gets back up, takes a couple steps, doesn't look too bad, and then just collapses. And from then on, everyone in the stadium felt different. And DeMar Hamlin had to be resuscitated on the field. He went into cardiac arrest. He received CPR. And from there, he was in the ambulance headed to University of Cincinnati, University of Cincinnati Hospital. So then we all waited to A, hear what was going to happen with the game, and B, to see where DeMar Hamlin was at. And then someone told both sidelines and both coaches to start warming up and get re- getting ready to go. And they were warming up for a couple minutes, and then Zach Taylor, the coach of the Cincinnati Bengals, walked over. To Sean McDermott, they had some kind of conversation, and then everyone walked back into the locker rooms, and it was zero dark 30 from there, and there was no communicating with the players. Um, Everything was blocked off, and from then on, it's been the DeMar Hamlin watch for the past, uh, we're getting close to 48 hours here when we hit tonight. Um, and I think there's a lot of different ways to look at this. And obviously if you watch, you've all watched any kind of sports media, whether it's Fox, ESPN, um, the Monday night football crew and Scott Van Pell and the sports center crew Monday night did an incredible job when you're on, it's easy to just go on a rope and talk your teeth off when you do radio. But when you have TV, that is an entirely different beast and to cover as much time as they did. And when, when something like this happens, you have to say like, there is no deviation from the course. You have to say everything correctly because you step off the path just a little bit. You look like a terrible human being when all you really did was make a mistake with no, with more than likely no bad intentions. So props to them, props to most sports shows for the last couple of days who have uh, tried to maintain normalcy while also giving the story the, the respect it deserves while we're still on DeMar Hamlin watch. Um, as far as where we're at today. 
So DeMar Hamlin is still in critical condition, still in the hospital. He's been resuscitated twice. He was on 100% on oxygen yesterday. He's, he's, up to, he's down to 50% now, which means he's breathing a little bit on his own. But again, still in critical condition. Vitals are normal. But the watch for his life is still going on. And I think there's a lot of different ways that we can look at this, as I mentioned earlier. For me, this hits a little bit close to home because not even not even two years ago, very similar situation. I've had a dad who was in the hospital with a heart attack, and that wasn't even the the one that put him out. But I do I, I just as a PSA for everybody. I don't think it ever helps to tell someone you know exactly what they're going through because sometimes that comes off as diminishing the way that they feel. So just as a PSA, when people go through stuff like this, don't ever tell people, even if you do, that you know exactly what they're going through. There's better ways to say it. And if you really have been, because the thing is like a lot of people will try to equivocate it just, and it kind of seems like they're trying to say it to make themselves feel better when they're saying it to you. So unless you really, really know what that person has been through, you've been through the exact same thing where you lost a parent or lost someone in the hospital, like it just is not ever beneficial to tell someone you know what they've been through if what you've been through is not even the same. So there's the first little PSA. But I, I, I've been trying to think about um, what to say about all of this. And, and the first thing that comes to mind is obviously this is terrible. This is so sad. This kid was living his dream, getting to play in the National Football League, and has a heart attack on the field, in-game. It's horrible. But we're a couple days removed, so I feel like I can say this. Isn't it incredible how much love we could have in the world if we chose it to be so? Because guess what? No one is thinking about, oh, well, DeMar voted for so-and-so, or the the Bengals fans probably voted for so-and-so. Nobody's thinking about that. And if it was that critical that we spewed mud as much as we did, then how is it that the world isn't ending right now when we stop talking about it? Because it doesn't matter. It does matter, but it's not the end-all, be-all, and... It's unfortunate that this has had to come to show us that, but there's truth in it. There is so much love. Everyone is praying. Everyone. And I don't care if you pray to Allah, if you are Jewish, if you're uh, Muslim or, or not Muslim, Hindu, whatever, Hindi. It's so cool to see. I, I think one of the coolest stories was because uh, I was watching everything for probably two, three hours after the accident. And it was so cool. The the reporters who were at the University of Cincinnati Hospital to come out and say, hey, we have a shot right now of all of these fans from the Cincinnati Bengals game. Bengals fans, as well as Bills fans, but Bengals fans had walked from the stadium to the hospital, not to cause any trouble, but just to sit outside and pray. 
And, it, and, it, and again, it's terrible that this is what brought us to unity, peace, and love. But it just goes to show you that it's possible. In a world where I think it's pretty hard to believe that it ever happens, that we ever show this much love and affection, it does exist. It is possible. The other thing I think is very pertinent to this story. Well, before I go there, let's um, continue on that on that theme of love. I don't know if a lot of you knew this. So Demar Hamlin has a toy drive charity, and his goal was to get it to two thousand five hundred dollars, which shows you he doesn't make a whole lot of money if that was his goal. That, again, I think he is the backup to the backup as safety for the Buffalo Bills, and. That that I watched the progression of that drive start from, oh, this is really cool. We're at 300K, and that was Monday night. And before I went to bed, last time I saw, I think we were at like 500K or 700K. And my brother came home from school yesterday, and he said it was up to 1.3 million. And I don't know where it's at now. But it's incredible to see what we could do in this world if we just put down our pride and just shut up and just listen. I think I'm great. I, I'm I'm grateful to Demar Hamlin and his family, and I and it's so terrible that this has had to happen. And we keep praying and we keep hoping that he'll get up and walk away from this. But whether he does or doesn't walk away from this, we all need to bow our heads. And say thank you to him for the lesson that he's taught all of us. And the lesson that God has taught all of us. In this idea of it's possible to love everyone. You don't have to agree with everyone. But just because you don't agree with them doesn't mean you can't love them. Everybody got family members. We all have family members. If Thanksgiving time comes around, we don't love you that day. But we love you 364 out of the year. Obviously, I don't mean that, but the idea being just because you don't agree with someone politically, whatever, you can still love them. And it's it's these weird two sides of the coin where it's so beautiful and it's so sad all at the same time. I don't know why, but I cannot get my new AirPod to stay in my ear and it keeps falling out. Um, so yeah, so incredibly grateful to DeMar Hamlin and we keep, we keep on praying. I saw yesterday, I don't know if y'all saw this, that Dem- uh, not DeMar Hamlin, Dan Orlovsky on NFL Live, he just pulled an audible and I'm sure the ESPN executives and producers were ready to shoot him when he said that he was going to pray live on air. And he just went there. And, and if you haven't seen it, it's up on my Instagram story. And this isn't about pushing Christianity. Because this is what I will say. So, I, obviously, I went out for two years and I taught people about the church that I go to. And, and more so than that, I think, how to come to Jesus Christ. But... I took a world religions course this last semester. And I used to be like one of the opinion where it's like, hey, well, like, if you're not baptized in this church, like, that's great. But like, it's probably best that if you're whatever, you know, 
and how arrogant am I? Because my opinion has changed so much throughout the course of, of learning about world religions. If I would argue that most religions are pretty similar. You can argue there's different rights, different authorities, whatever. But at the end of the day, we're all just trying to call God, God. Well, no, that's not true. We're all trying to call God, dad. That is, that is it. Everybody here is looking to do the same thing. And I'm not here to preach religiously. But I will say, I, like, I don't think some prayers make it to heaven. I think wherever you believe that your God lives, and I shouldn't say your God, because I think we all worship the same God. We just call them different names. I truly, truly believe that. And so I think it's beautiful how much we've all come together to pray to the same God, regardless of how we call him or how we speak to him. It's been beautiful to see the love that Damar Hamlin has has influenced and his family, and and we just keep praying for them. Um, The flip side to this, because I feel like it's been a couple days, so I feel like I can say this, is let's not let stupid people ruin beautiful moments. And I don't know how to say this other than that. Everywhere you go in the world, whether it's school, whether it's your office, whether it's your gym, wherever, there are some people who are just mean and stupid to be mean and stupid. And they're ignorant and they're rude. And as much as we love them, there's not even a tragedy like this doesn't put them on the same plane as all of us. And in those moments... Let's not divert our attention from loving and praying in order to go argue with someone whose A, opinion you'll never change, and B, whose opinion isn't worth changing. And that's the one thing I would say about all of this is there's been a lot of people on the internet going after certain people. And it's like, you know what? It is not our job. If this can't move them, then you won't. And don't be arrogant enough to think that you can. Because the whole lesson that we're supposed to be taking from this is that life is fragile. You never know when anyone could go at any moment. And so sometimes love means tough love. But there's a difference between being rude and correcting someone being rude or correcting someone out of love. And they're wildly different. The other thing I would say is And this is just from like a media journalistic standpoint, but can we let this family have their space? Like, we all obviously want to be updated, but they know that. They understand the limelight that they're in. And to me, like, so DeMar Hamlin's uncle was uh, on CNN and NFL Network yesterday. And I think that's honestly kind of rude and kind of an invasion of privacy. I get it. We all want to know what's going on, but their first priority is to that family. They don't owe us anything. There's people who will find out the family will send texts to certain individuals who will leak that to reporters or put that up on Twitter. And you might want to come back with me to say, Oh, well maybe he volunteered to go on CNN. 
And I would argue, maybe, but there's no way he did it on his own. There's no way he went out to CNN and said, hey, let me come on, do a stand-up, and uh, tell you what's going on. Like, just let this family... Like, there is nothing about this story where we need to have a member of the family live on TV. You did that for you. Like, getting the information out isn't about... And look, I'm all for business. I am all for meritocracy. I'm all for people making their money. But let's not try to be the news outlet. Oh, well, we're CNN. So we're going to monopolize the interview. So Damar Hamlin's uncle, you're coming to us so that all eyes will be on us. Like you really monetize this family. And I get maybe, maybe he's a member of the family who's designated as the spokesperson. I don't know. But I know that when someone's going through something like this, the only thing you say to them is, I will keep praying and I will keep serving. That is the only thing that you say. And it's kind of sad. Not kind of sad. It's sad to see CNN and NFL Network just trying to make a story out of this. It made itself a story. You don't need to play it up anymore. We don't need to bother this poor family as they're waiting to find out if they're going to see their son, brother, nephew, or whatever for the last time. So from a journalistic perspective, let's just chill. We can talk about it. They will release information. We'll find out and we'll do what we can. But you going around making this a story is disgusting. As far as DeMar Hamlin goes, I think that's probably going to be it for today. I don't know where you're at in terms of being ready to talk about other things. I'm sure for a lot of you, this doesn't bug you that much. But we are going to go ahead and I'm going to do a different part of this. And we're going to do college football from Saturday. If you don't want to listen to that, feel free to cut it off here. If you don't care, then keep it moving. It almost feels, it really does feel weird, let me just say, to go from that to this. But again, that's major props to the Colin Cowherds of the world, the Scott Van Pellets of the world, for them to continue to do their job and bring some kind of normalcy while we're all uh, on DeMar Hamlin watch. So we're not going to go on this for too long because I don't know how much longer I'm going to be able to go on with it. But we'll do Michigan TCU, we'll do Georgia OSU, and then we'll do a little preview and then we'll be out. Okay? Sound good? Um, first of all, if we were to go back, this is how I would describe the Heisman Trophy. If we were to go back, look at every season, and make a movie or 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 a mini series of every season. <gasps> I think the Heisman Trophy winner would be the focal point of that mini series. Right? Cuz so many things happen. To me the Heisman Trophy winner was did you from a dominance perspective tell the story of the season? 
I would think so. From an individual perspective, for sure. But it's it's similar with the Hall of Fame. Like, if you don't tell the story, help tell the story of the league, you don't be deserved to be in the Hall of Fame. Max Duggan should have been the Heisman. Because are, you can't seriously tell me that in 15 years, the definition of this season is going to be Caleb Williams over Max Duggan. You don't really believe that. Max Duggan, like, put on an absolute shootout with the number two, some say should have been number one team in all of college football. Max Duggan went out there and absolutely lit it up, and it wasn't pretty. Max Duggan had two interceptions. Now, if you watch the game, then you'll know that neither of those interceptions were his fault. They both bounced off both the receiver's hands, went up into the air, and were returned. But every single time Max Duggan went down, and this is what he's done. Like, Max Duggan is the definition of the comeback kid. Every single game this season, something has not gone their way. Most times it wasn't his fault. The defense let it up. The receiver tips the ball to an interception. Running back fumbles the ball. And guess what? TCU loses the line of scrimmage battle. They don't have the best offensive line in the world. Run blocking was good. Pass blocking wasn't great. And the defensive line, they, they really shouldn't have showed up, but they did. And they run a 3-3, which I said coming into this game was going to be insane for... TCU to run a 3-3-5 only because they were playing the uh, number one offensive line in America. I can't remember the name of the award, but they won the award for best offensive line in the country. And so there's that. And the second thing is, can we all agree Michigan's a little bit overrated? And their offensive line is wildly overrated, which causes me to question some of the things that go on in the Big Ten, because we're going to say that um, an offensive line that was dominated by a 3-3-5 is the best deep offensive line in your league, your league may have a skill issue. I think that they might have a skill issue because that TCU showed up and defense showed up and showed out. Not completely in the secondary. Obviously, they were able to make it a shootout. But for being a, a Big 12 defense and people saying, oh, TCU is not going to be able to hang. It's going to be a blowout from Georgia, blowout from Michigan, and we're going to have a meet in the championship. What a hell of a weekend. Max Duggan made that thing a movie, right? Starts as the backup. Starts for two years before this. He's a starter. Comes into the season. The starter gets injured. TCU, I don't know if you know this, had 200 to 1 odds, and they fight their way through to beat Big Bad Michigan. 200 to 1 odds make the national championship. Duggan, to me, showed Josh Allen, Josh Allen mentality. Like, he looked more like Josh Allen than anybody else in college football, and Maybe it's not smart football, but he was not afraid to take any hits from Michigan at all. So if we're going to say Max's name, let's, let's pronounce it correctly. I don't know if you know this. 
So I, I believe that we should start using his middle name as well. It's Max. Got that dog in him, Duggan. So if you're going to say his full name, let's say it right. And then the other side to this is coaching was very different. Again, I when you start to I, like recognize coaching when you want to, and again, Andy made the point uh, earlier last year. Happy New Year, by the way. Totally forgot about that. Um, I, I'm going to come out with a list soon. We're going to do a segment on the most overrated holidays of the year because I think New Year's is up there in the top three. But you like you'll notice coaching when you want to know, notice it, and there was a stark difference. You could just tell between what TCU knew about Michigan and what Michigan knew about TCU, and the play calling from the Michigan standpoint because they could have run the ball, and they chose not to until they really had to. Like, if you're wondering what I'm talking about, go back and watch the game and and think back in your head. That first drive, Michigan gets to the, what, like the five-yard line? And instead of pounding the rock, they go Seattle Seahawks and try to go around. And they run a Philly special, and it fails tremendously. That, to me, is coaching. And I don't think Sonny Dykes is getting enough credit for being one of the best coaches in America with only being with the season, the team for one season. This is his first year. He's going to a national championship. That's incredible coaching. Because I wouldn't argue, like, they don't have a Derrick Henry. They don't have a Will Anderson. There's not a single guy on this roster that they're probably going to say is a first-round draft pick. Max Duggan, maybe. Marcus, uh, Marcus Johnston, maybe. But outside of that, like, you don't have these big boys, these big SEC boys. But they've been coached incredibly well. D-winners? Stud, the safety, he knew everything. Like, he knew what J.J. McCarthy was going to do more than the camera knew what J.J. McCarthy was doing. And you know what I'm talking about because he read the wheel or the the, the angle route, I think it was. Maybe it was a flat route. Perfectly jumped it. The camera was on the receiver while D. Winters was in the end zone. That's called preparing your team incredibly well. Now, your team has to want to be prepared. But this TCU coaching staff deserves all the credit in the world. I don't care what happens in the national championship. I hope that they play their hearts out and they lose by a field goal like Ohio State did. But if they win, I have no problem losing to TCU because they've earned everything this season. Guess what? College football fans, a lot of you, Luke included, you've all been wrong about this season. There, Do you know how many times I heard that Georgia was overrated? And do you know how many times I heard, oh, well, TCU only plays in the Big 12, so, like, not that big of a deal. Okay, well, who else do you want them to beat? I agree. I think Alabama probably could have taken both of these teams to the woodshed. Probably Georgia included. Maybe not to the woodshed, but I think Alabama easily is less than a three-point underdog, probably a three-point favorite in the TCU game. Other than Alabama, who else would you have liked TCU and Georgia to be. Be honest with me. Because, because everyone said that Georgia was overrated. Oh, well, the defense isn't the same. They, they're not going to be able to hang with Tennessee. It's going to be a shootout. It wasn't a shootout. Georgia had the game in hand and then just decided to run the clock out because they knew how explosive the TCU offense or the Tennessee offense was. 
TCU, oh, well, you know what? They can't beat Kansas State, so they're probably just not going to be able to run it out with Michigan. Do you understand how tired TCU was? They've been a comeback shootout in nearly every game they played this season. And they went out and did that. Don't give me this. The Big Ten is, is serially, under, serially underrated when it comes to comparing the Big Ten to the SEC. It's not. Because even after both Ohio State and Michigan lost, we're still looking saying, yeah, Alabama probably could have beat all four of those teams. TCU deserves all the credit in the world, and I hate to uh, alienate or disrespect my fan base, but most of you thought Georgia was overrated, and most of you thought that TCU was overrated, and guess what? They both won their playoff games. They both scored a ton of points, and their defenses both came up big in the clutch. Georgia, Ohio State. I'm a little surprised with y'all's reaction to this game. Because last year, after the game between Georgia and Alabama, what everyone wanted to say was, oh, well, he would have, uh, oh, well, he could have, uh, oh, oh, well, he should have. All people wanted to talk about was, oh, well, if John Mechie and Jamison Williams play, this game's over. Sh- I'm not even going to say sure. That's a maybe. Because you don't know. You didn't watch the game happen on the field, so and Alabama didn't win despite them, so you don't know that. And everyone wants to say, well, actually not everyone wants to say. I'll take that back. I'm surprised more people don't want to say, oh, well, Marvin Harrison this, Travion Henderson this, um, Jackson Smith and Jigba this. Guess what? That's how the game goes. Everyone gets injured. That's the only guarantee in football is that everyone gets injured and everybody loses. Those are the only two guarantees. And what I want to say to you is, well, guess what? Adane Mitchell, A.D. Mitchell, the receiver for Georgia who came up big in that game, hadn't played since week two. The receiver, Arian Smith, he didn't play till the Mississippi State game. I think we played Mississippi State. Who am I thinking of? Maybe it was the Kentucky game. Didn't play until the Kentucky game and really hasn't played since. So everybody gets hurt. Everybody misses, guys. It's unfortunate that Marvin Harrison went out because Marvin Harrison is probably the best receiver in football. But let's talk about this for a second. This is the single reason that this game went the way that it did. Everyone's seen the blind side. And everyone remembers Sandra Bullock's opening monologue about the left tackle being the highest paid position in football. And we all know why that is, because they protect the blind side. The reason they protect the blind side is because you put your best pass rusher there because there's less time for the quarterback to see you. Edge rush, completely different ball game than Jalen Carter. There's, like, there's a reason that Will Anderson is more disruptive visually than Jalen Carter. Jalen Carter is probably going to go out of Will Anderson because Jalen Carter is more valuable to the run game than Will Anderson is, and he's a little bit less valuable than Will Anderson in the pass rush game. Because Ohio State's um, Ohio State's offensive line absolutely bottled the Georgia Bulldogs' D line. Granted, this again goes to what have, should have, could have. 
Georgia was down their top three, three of their top four pass rushers. All not named Jalen Carter. Chaz Chambliss, who you've never heard of. Nolan Smith, who's, who was projected to be a first-round draft pick. We'll see what that looks like going forward. And then uh, Michael Williams, who doesn't even really play that much, but he had to play because guys go down. Instead of looking at what have, could have, should have, and should have been targeting, shouldn't have been targeting, let's just look back and say, this we've all been complaining. Bama fans, specifically Will Campbell has complained, one of my good friends, that we can't go to a 12-team playoff because we can't even get good uh, one four-seed games or two three-seed games. They're always blowouts. Well, in a year, right before the year, where we go right before the year where we wait to go into the 12-team playoff, I'd say we showed out pretty well. And I think you're starting to see the balance of power within college football. Because, A, coaching matters. Coaching matters a ton. I think we're seeing that more than ever before. Because if, if the playing field isn't level, then coaching isn't as necessary. But when everybody's got the same pieces on the board with a little bit of variation here and there, coaching is critical. Coaching is key. I think you're starting to see the balance of power is shifting. Because Ohio State, they ran it up with Georgia. Alabama, they didn't even make the playoffs this year. Yeah, Alabama blew out Kansas State, but sometimes mismatches happen. And sometimes guys get to where they are because TCU was out of gas going into that Big 12 championship game, and they almost won it. I think we are heading into a prime time in college football. NIL and tampering out of it, because that's a different topic for another day. We'll do that next week, because that was a really big topic the last couple weeks with People wanted to paint Drake Mays and then Reese Davis just having a pop in a blood vessel figuratively on college game day about it. Um, if there was ever a year to get ready for a 12-team playoff, it's this year. As far as Georgia TCU, we're not going to get to that today. And you'll find out why. I just want you to check back on Monday morning. Just swipe down, go in and refresh your podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you listen to me, wherever you listen to us, whether you see us on Instagram Live, which hasn't been the last couple of days, because obviously I'm working with a lot of equipment. I'm still recording on my phone and a lapel mic. Just check back Monday. Um, 2023 is going to be a big year for Trophy Room. And I will leave it at that, and we will see you back here on Monday. Enjoy the rest of your uh, your holidays. Enjoy the new year. Get ready with whatever things that you wanna you wanna change this year. This is a just my last PSA. I don't really believe in New Year's resolutions. I believe in goals. What are things? What are milestones? What are big life achievements that you want to accomplish this year? And if if it's something you can't complete until September, here's what I do for my New Year's. I go through, and there's a couple things that I want to get better at this year, and I'll write those down. 
But what I do is I say January to February, I want to accomplish this. Or like, I want to get this semester, I want to finish with A's. Like I just put out all my goals for the new year as opposed to putting these abstract ideas of things that I'm probably never really going to accomplish. So just as far as little PSA goes, there you go. Enjoy your new year. Enjoy getting back into the real world and enjoy getting back to the grind. And we will be back here. Just check back Monday. I promise you it'll be worth it. Cheers. Whoa.